Hello, welcome back. My name is Dr. Christopher Gennari. I'm at Canham County College. This is Great Big History Podcast. Today we do Buddhism. We do the great Siddhartha. So we're in India. We're around 500 BC. And Siddhartha, gonna say Gautam. Now, I've had, it's spelled in English with an A at the end, but I have had Indian students who have told me that that A feminizes the name and that you're not supposed to use it, but it's in the textbook. So I don't know. And I'm going to say Gautam, even though I could be completely wrong in that pronunciation. That seems to be okay, but Siddhartha. We can agree on Siddhartha. He is going to create Buddhism, which is going to be a philosophy and religion that comes out of Hinduism. It doesn't quite fully depart from Hinduism. It's kind of an update of it and opens it up to everybody. Well, why? Well, who is he? Who is Siddhartha? Siddhartha is a prince. And there's several different stories about who he is before he becomes the Buddha. And I like the one where he's like a young man in his late teens, early 20s. He's good. His life is good. He's a prince. So he hangs out with princes. Whose lives are good. And so... What happens is one day he sneaks out, he goes down to town, and he sees poverty for the first time. If you want to know, uh, have a good idea of how he lives, watch the first 10 minutes of Coming to America. Eddie Murphy's Coming to America from back in the 80s. That's Siddhartha's life. And so he's never seen sick and poor and destitute and terrible and diseased and... He's never seen any of that stuff. And he asks a simple question, which is basically, why do I have so much when I've done nothing with my life? I've just been a young man and I have all this wealth and success. And these people work so hard and have so little. The great question. Why have I been given so much? What he then does is walk the earth. It's incredibly important to Buddhism, to everything, that he walks the earth. That he doesn't stay. He gives away his wealth. He gives up his position. He gives up his caste. And walks the earth. Why? Because he's wealthy enough. He could have done other things. He could have called up the richest, not the richest, the smartest dudes at all of the universities in India and said, yo, I'm going to fly you in for a conference. I'm going to set you up at an awesome hotel. I'm going to feed you awesome food. and I'm going to pay you a lot of money. And you guys are going to answer a question for me. He could have brought all of the smart guys to him. But what would that have meant about Buddhism? What would that have meant about knowledge? It would have meant it was only for the rich. It was only for those who can bring knowledge to them. Instead, he walks the earth. 
And what does that mean? It means knowledge is available. It's around us. You can experience it. It's very Aristotelian. It's in nature. And if it's in nature, it is open to everybody because everybody can experience nature. You could find knowledge in anything. You could find enlightenment everywhere. It is how to see it. That's the problem that you need to learn. And so by walking the earth, he's saying something very specific. Knowledge is open to everyone. Everyone can obtain enlightenment. So what does he come up with? What he comes up with is the four truths. Now, Buddhism is more complicated than this, of course. There's much more built upon it. But we're in a History 101 class, so the four truths. The first is pain and suffering is inescapable. That is profound. And if you think about it, you go, uh, duh, professor. But wait a minute. Think about how much money you spend, we spend as a society, so we don't feel bad. I can't get many of you to not turn on your cell phone in the middle of class, even though I have told you not to do it and I will say something about it in class. You still do it. Why? Because you're bored. Oh, I'm bored. I feel bored. That's pain and suffering. And you take out your cell phone and you're like, I got to text somebody and I got to Instagram something and I got to do, I got to do something. Because it sucks not doing anything. Just sitting here in the last row of a giant lecture hall and listening to somebody I don't care about, uh, talk about something I don't care about, sucks. Well, you spent $300 for that. And you're spending 50 bucks to 80 bucks, 100 bucks a month to have a device so that you won't be bored for five minutes. So you won't be stuck with your own thoughts. Think about what you spend on games. Think about what you spend, we spend on drugs, alcohol, smoking, going out, clubbing, just food that you will eat with other people to have nice conversations with. And suddenly you realize that what you thought was obvious is something we are constantly spending immense amounts of money to avoid. We don't want to feel bad. And what Buddha says is tough shit. You're going to feel bad. You cannot avoid it. You are going to be bored at some point. You are going to have your heart broken. Your parents are going to die. If you're lucky, they will die before you. You will bury bury your parents. Why do I say if you're lucky? Because if you're unlucky, your parents are burying you. And no parent wants to be doing that. So pain and suffering are inescapable. You're going to feel them. It is going to happen. And you can avoid it all you want. But it's going to happen. Which brings us to the next question. If pain and suffering are inescapable, well, what causes it? 
how do I stop this? This sucks. And the answer is, it's caused by your attachment and your desire. It's your attachment to things, to people. It's your desires, your wishes, your wants. You take out your cell phone in the middle of my class. Why? Because you wish you were somewhere else. You're attached to somebody else. You're attached to being somewhere else. And you're attached to doing something else. And you desire to do all those things with all those people at this particular time. It is your attachment to something else. Think about kids. If you have kids, you have seen this happen. Your little one of your kids is sitting there playing with their toys. They're playing with their trucks or trains or whatever. And in comes their brother. And in comes their sister going, I got a toy. I'm so happy. I got a toy. I'm having so much fun. And the first kid looks at that and says, gimme. Throws their toy away like it's garbage. Walks over and takes that toy. Why? Because they saw someone else having fun with it. They're not attached to the thing. They're attached to what the thing produces. The happiness. If that person is happy with that thing, it will make me happy. This is why people want to date your girlfriend or boyfriend. They see you happy and they go, hey... If this loser makes this person happy, they'll make me happy. And I'll come ruining that relationship. It's caused by your, your attachment to things. People. Why, when your mother dies, that is going to suck. Why is it going to suck? Because she's your mom. No. No. Because you're attached to a relationship you have with her. Because being a mom means she is supposed to act a certain way. Now dads are more complicated, but they're the same thing. When your dad dies, it's going to suck. And you're like, well, I hate that bastard. I'm not going to feel bad. Yes, you are. Why? Because you're not attached necessarily to the person. You might hate the person, but you're attached to the idea. Because once that person's dead, once your dad is dead, he can never be a good dad ever. Because why are you mad at him? Why do you think about him and go, you suck? Why? Why do you hate that person? Why do you have a terrible relationship with them? Because they're not acting the way they're supposed to act. And now that they're dead, they never will. Never will they walk up to you and say, Son, let's play catch. I love you. They're never going to say that again. They didn't say it before. And they're never going to say it again. Look at all the people who are on Maury. All these guys who deny that they're the father. Are they going to be a good dad? No. They're going to be terrible dads. They're not going to be around. If they even pay the, f pay the monthly fee. 
they're going to look at this kid as a burden because they've already told us that. You already wanted to get out of it. So what is that kid going to be? That kid's going to grow up going, why can't my dad just want to hang out with me? Why can't my dad love me? Why can't my dad be with me? Why can't we just play catch? Why can't we go fishing? Why can't he be a dad? And it's not the person that you're attached to. It's the image of what a dad's supposed to be. Oh, son, let's play Madden together. Let's play PlayStation. It's going to be fun. I love you, son. I love you, dad. Don't tell mom, but we're, let's go get some bacon cheeseburgers at Five Guys. I'll, I'll get the extra, we'll get the, the extra big Cajun fries. Wow, dad, that's awesome. He's never going to do that. And when he's dead or your mom's dead, they're never going to do that. They can't ever do that again. And so what causes pain, what causes suffering is the idea that they had the chance to be good parents and they said no. They didn't want to. They didn't want to take you out for five guys. They didn't want to spend the extra Sunday with you. They didn't want to. They could have, and they didn't. And that sucks. So here we are. Here we're talking about um, stuff that is ending that you're like already angry about, and it's still going to cause pain and suffering. You can imagine what would happen when you lose stuff you actually like. And so it is the attachment to the thing. So since it's caused by attachment and desire, you know, why did you open up your test and say, this sucks, this professor sucks, this class sucks, you suck, everybody sucks. Why? Because what are you attached to? You're not attached to the test. You're not attached to me. You're attached to the grade. And more importantly than the grade, because you're not really attached to a grade, it's just a letter. What you're attached to is what the grade symbolizes. I got an A, which means I am awesome. So if you get a C, you go, I'm not awesome. I suck. Oh, I got a D. I suck. The professor is saying, I'm a terrible person. No, I'm not. I'm saying your work was a D. I'm sorry. It just was. And I have your reasons. I have your whys. And I give the long list of explanations. But that's not what it feels like. You don't have the validation. And what you want, that A for, is the validation. So you could show it off to someone else. Here, Mom, I got an A. Put it on the refrigerator. Okay, son, because you're awesome. No one says, oh, you got an A? You suck. Don't put that near my refrigerator. Take that crap home. Mediocre A's. What do you think you are, child? And so you're attached not to the grade, not to the class, not to me. You're attached to how the grade makes you feel, that validation. So it's like a little drug. That little shot of happiness. 
that confirmation that you are worthwhile, you are awesome. And that's why I will always tell you the grades don't matter. The skill does. What are you learning? Are you doing it better? Grades don't matter. No one cares about your grades. You care because it's about your validation. Because you think it says something about you. I'm here to say it doesn't. We could have no grades. It wouldn't affect your ability to write and reason and analyze. I can give you all a 99. It wouldn't help you get the job that you want. Because you're going to walk in and go, I have an A. And they're going to say, great, can you do this job? And you're going to say, no, but I have an A. And they're going to say, that's great, but everyone has an A. I need someone who can actually do the job I want you to do. Think, reason, analyze. Explain that to other people. Manage a group. Speak publicly. Say what it means. And you'll say, but I have an A and that made me feel good. And they're going to say, yes, but now I don't care how it makes you feel. I want money. And I'm willing to pay you money if you can make me more money. You could feel good about that. You could not feel good about that. I don't care. But I have an A. Get out. Just get out. But I got an A. It was a 99. So, what does this all mean? It means, number three, knowing this, knowing why you feel the way you feel, knowing what causes pain and suffering can minimize the pain and suffering. We call these, in psychology, you go over to, across the hall and you take my, not, not mine, I don't teach it, you go and take the psychology courses and they're going to call this coping mechanisms. Knowing this can minimize your pain and suffering. Well... My mom lived to be 90. That's the best you can ask for. Can't ask for much more. I got her for 70-something years. That's great. That's awesome. A lot of people don't get that. <gasps> if you're a Christian, you go, hey, or a Muslim, you say, hey, she's in heaven. She's in a better place. If she was sick, you say, hey, she's not sick anymore. Whether she's in heaven in a better place or not, at least she's not dying and sick anymore and in pain bodily pain, emotional pain. Hey, at least I don't have to worry about that test anymore. I got a C on it, but you know what? I was worried about it. Uh, now I don't have to worry about it. It's over. It's done with. Moving on. I can do better on the next one. Oh, well, we broke up. That sucks. But you know what? Lots of fish in the sea. There are other people, and they're going to be taller and nicer to me. And so you can minimize your pain and suffering. Well, you, you, you're, you're going to do this if you're not doing this already. For those of you who are of a certain age, you know this. For those of you who are not yet there, you will get there. But think about your first breakup and how you reacted. Or more importantly, how your friends reacted to their first breakup. Because I'm sure you were all stoic Roman patricians. You were like, ah, oh, we are breaking up. I am so sorry that this relationship could not fulfill your needs. I understand. I want the best for you. Fly free and know 
that the time we spend together will always be gloriously remembered. Thank you for the time you gave me in my life and the things you taught me. Thank you. I wish you the best. I am sure that's you. I am sure that was you. The first time you broke up with somebody. Someone broke up with you. I am sure. Like a modern Marcus Aurelius. But what about your friends? No, no one's ever going to love me again. I can't believe I did that. I love them so much. Does that sound familiar? Does three weeks of just eating chocolate ice cream for dinner sound familiar? Does not getting out of pajamas sound... Well, I can't say that anymore. No, people come to class and they're still in pajamas. So, Used to be you stayed in your pajamas. Generation Xers, you know, you stay in your pajamas... And that meant you had been broken up with. There's a whole episode of Chandler, Chandler on Friends. Chandler Bing is in the pajamas, in the sweatpants, because they broke up. Now people are doing that all the time. So you millennials are messing around with our, our Generation X grieving methodology. But be that as it may, what are you like now? And if you don't know, that's okay. You will get there. So if you're 18 and you're like, well, I've never really broken up with anybody because I never really dated anybody or just, well, I'm still dating the same person I started dating when I was 14. I mean, why would we ever break up? You'll get there. For those of you who can remember the 90s. Okay. So how do you feel about breaking up now? You're like, well, that sucks. Sorry. But Okay. Why? Because I know there's somebody else out there. I've done this before. Yeah, it sucks now, but in three months I'll be dating somebody else. And there'll be more fun because you don't date down. You date better. So they're going to, whoever you break up with, whoever you date next is going to be more awesome. That's why you should never compare yourself to your ex's new person. Because you're always going to be bad in that. Because they used you as the, as the image on which to base their next person. So you could feel good about that. That's the whole point of knowing. You could look at that person and go, they're just me. They're just another version of me. And let's be honest. Who's the best version of you? You are. Because you are. And so knowing this, knowing that you're going to date somebody else, they're going to be great. It's going to be wonderful. It's going to be a great time. You, you can take some time for yourself. You just go, oh, okay, no problem. Bye. It was nice. It sucks. But all right. Moving on. See who's next. Lots of experiences ahead. 
And this brings us to step four, which is the triumph of the Eightfold Path. Now, the triumph of the Eightfold Path sounds a lot like having three wishes, and on your third wish, you wish for a million more wishes. But it's not. It's one thing. It sounds like eight things, but it's really one thing. Why? What is it? It's rightness. Not righteousness. It's not about moral, good, ethical behavior. It's about acting the way that is appropriate to you, the right action, the right thoughts, the right understanding, the right speech, the right livelihood. Here's the thing. Have any of you ever dated somebody way longer than you should have? Yeah. How long? Think about it. How long? And if it's less than six months, it doesn't count. If it's less than, I can't say that, six months from the moment you hated that person, from the moment you woke up, looked at their text and said, oh, their skin is crawling. When they tie, when they, they call and you like, you wait for it to like ring a couple of times. You're like, maybe they'll hang up. The idea of seeing them eat just grosses you out from that moment. To when you broke up. Six months is fine, I guess. It's like the two months. Two months don't count because you're still looking for someone to replace your ex with. Two months. Two months could be like two dates. That doesn't count. But for some of you, when you think about that, how long did you have to look at this person that you couldn't stand and listen to their thoughts? Oh, it goes years year, two years. If you're married, it can go five years, 10 years. If you're married and kids, I once had a student who said 25 years. That, that can get long. And go, why? Why would you do that to yourself? Why would you make yourself so miserable? Well, you're attached to stuff. Why did you stay with this person you couldn't stand? Because you were attached to stuff. I'm going to bet it was familiar. It was somebody to go to Applebee's with. Yeah, they had stupid thoughts, but they wanted to share them with you. And you knew you were better than that person. And so that made you feel good. It was someone to cuddle with. It's someone to pick up fried chicken with, you know, on their way back from work. Maybe they had a cute brother. I don't know. But they were, you were attached to something. But here's the point. You knew it was wrong. You knew it. Where did you know it? Inside of you. Every time you looked at that person, every time you thought those thoughts, you knew you were doing something wrong. And so what does the Buddha say? The Buddha says, stop it. You'd be happier. By cutting that out, by just stopping it. Yeah, pull the, the Band-Aid off the, the scab. Pull it off the... Just pull it. Just be done with it. Now, here's the thing. Here's the crazy thing. What is going to happen to that ex? That ex that you called crazy. That ex you called your friends and like, oh my God, I can't stand this person. That ex what's going to happen to them in the next five years for most of you? Somebody is going to look at that person and say, 
I want to spend the rest of my life with you. I think you are awesome. I think you are fantastic. I think you are the greatest person to ever live. Not only that, I don't think the world has enough of you, and I want to make little versions of you that run around. Yeah, how crazy is that? But somebody is going to do it. And not only that, they think you're the loser. Oh, your ex? That loser? The one who let you go and broke your heart? The one who didn't appreciate your awesomeness? The one who couldn't see how special you were? Yeah, they're a loser. Huh? And at their wedding, think about this. You couldn't stand the thought of this person. You could not look at their mouth, chew another bite of, of buffalo, buffalo chicken. You couldn't, you couldn't stand another one of their stupid thoughts about something stupid. And they're going to be at a wedding for two, three hundred people that they're going to spend thousands of dollars on. And a guy is going to get up and a woman is going to get up and they're going to say, you know, we are so glad you didn't marry your ex. That stupid loser. We are glad we are here today. You're the villain at someone else's wedding. Think about that. Because everybody has gathered because you broke up with them. Everybody is there for a relationship that wouldn't have happened if you stayed with that person. This person who you couldn't stand, you are the villain at their wedding. Because everyone's going to get up and say, this is the love that will last a lifetime. And you're like, are you kidding me? You won't be at the wedding, of course. Because you can't be the villain at someone else's wedding. You can't literally be the joker at Batman's wedding. You can't do it. It's inappropriate. Because there's going to be those speeches about how much of a loser you are. And they may not cite you out as a loser, but it's all code words. It's all in parentheses. We are so happy when the two of them met. Well, when they met, it was right after you broke up with them. They couldn't have met without you breaking Do you see how this works? You're the villain. So what does this say about the Eightfold Path? It says it's different for everyone. Your ex's eightfold path and their new fiancé and their kids is different than yours. You would have hated being with this person. You did hate being with this person. So you have a different path. And that's the important part of the eightfold path. And you know it. And this is how pro-person this is, how humanist this is. Human. H-U-M-A-N, IST, I-S-T, which is about, the, it's, a, it's a philosophy that we really get later in the Middle Ages, but it's really about that you, the person, is the most important actor in your life. This is incredibly pro-you. You know what the right path for you is. So you can follow it. And your path is different from someone else's path, and that's okay. There's nothing wrong with that. It's all right.
And so what does this all make? This makes happiness the number one value, but not happiness in a capitalist sense, in an American sense. This is not going and finding happiness. At no point did we ever say, go and find happiness, go and get happiness. No. Happiness is the lack of pain and suffering. Happiness is not feeling pain, not feeling suffering. Why? Because you will feel pain and suffering. And the idea is you can't get happiness because happiness ends and that's pain and suffering. So happiness is the opposite. It's not, it's not even the opposite, but you can't gain it. It's, the, it's what you get by not having pain and suffering. And this is the big problem that Buddhism would say is wrong with American culture is that you want happiness and so you will buy stuff. You'll use drugs. But you know what? The drugs run out. You'll have affairs. Well, those persons leave. The sex ends. You buy lots of stuff. Well, the money runs out. At some point, you're still with yourself. You wake up with yourself. No matter where you go, there you are. And you have to be okay with that. That's what Buddhism says. You can't buy your way to happiness. You can't obtain your way to happiness. Taking out your cell phone does not make you happier in my class. Because you have to do it again, and then again, and then again. It never fulfills you. It never achieves the goal. It just takes your mind off that you're a miserable person at that moment. So happiness is the number one value of Buddhism. But remember, happiness is really the lack of pain and suffering as opposed to something you can actively make, actively gain. In our next episode, we're going to talk about China. We're going to talk about Chinese uh, geography of ancient China. And um, then on to the mandate of heaven and other politics and philosophies and some Confucianism. So uh, we'll see you in the next episode. Thank you.